Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we have a week coming up that is just full and rich of personalities, as usual, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. One of those is someone known as a confessor. A confessor means basically a male, known as a man, who witness to the faith. In other words, they proclaim the right and true teaching of the faith and oftentimes suffered for that faith. They weren't necessarily martyred for it, but they did suffer. In fact, some of them, such as the figure we're going to present today, his name is Maximus the Confessor, he suffered greatly. He was tortured, even physically, and that probably eventually did result in his death. But technically speaking, he wasn't a martyr of the faith. But in another sense, he really was. We're going to do a lot of reading today from different sources because they're great sources. I want you to be familiar with those sources. The first source we're going to read from is from the Prologue of Oakwood, also called the Synaxarian, which gives a little brief bio of the saint of the day and also some wonderful meditations. And this is what it says about Maximus the Confessor. He was by birth a citizen of Constantinople and at first a high-ranking courtier at the court of Emperor Heraclius. He then became a monk at the abbot of a monastery not far from the capital. He was the greatest defender of the true faith against the so-called Monothelite heresy, which developed from the heresy of Eutyches. That is to say, as Eutyches asserted that there is in Christ only one nature, so the Monothelites asserted that there is in him only one will. Now, Maximus resisted this assertion and found himself in opposition to both the emperor and the patriarch. But he was unafraid and persevered to the end, improving that there are in the Lord two wills and also two natures. By his efforts, one council in Carthage and one in Rome stood firm, and both these councils anathematized the monothelite teaching. Maximus's suffering for orthodoxy, the true faith, cannot be described. Tortured by hierarchs, spat upon by the mass of the people, beaten by soldiers, persecuted and imprisoned until finally, with his tongue cut out and one hand cut off, He was condemned to exile for life, where he gave his soul into God's hands in the year 662 A.D. Maximus the Confessor is sometimes referred to as the father of Byzantine theology. Now, there's no such thing, per se, as a father of Byzantine theology. But in a matter of speaking, he is that. Because he took a lot of the thinking that went before him, great thinkers and spiritual people like Evagris Ponticus and Origen and Dionysius the Areopagite and others, and he took their thought and he kind of synthesized it and perfected it. 
Now, one of the reasons they had to perfect it was because the great, great mind, great figure in the church like Origen, and also in monasticism, Evagrius, both from the East, they eventually ended up with some thinking and teaching that spilled over the edge a bit and were actually called heretics or were heretical, at least in some of their thinking. Now, fortunately over time, Origen and to a larger degree, Evagrius, have been maybe not totally vindicated in this regard, but many scholars are taking a fresher and newer look at their thinking. But they contributed much to Eastern spirituality and theology. As I mentioned, they spilled over just in a couple areas, but they were not not fully, full-blown, anti-church teaching, heretical people. They were not evil. They were good people, great spiritual masters. And sometimes in their thinking, they go a little bit too far. So Maximus had to take what was good about that and synthesize it. Now, in looking at Maximus the Confessor, and as he is so-called the father of Byzantine theology, we get a great glimpse into Eastern spirituality and theology. We get a glimpse for example, into how the Eastern churches see God and how we can end up in what the West would call the beatific vision, in other words, beholding the face of God, what that actually means or how we articulate it in the East. Maximus said about God, and again, it's not just his thoughts, but a kind of assimilation, but yet he took it a little bit further. He said about God that, and this is very characteristic of the East, that we can come to know God in every way except in his essence. Now, I'm going to read some passages from a great book called The Vision of God by Vladimir Lossky. And this author, Vladimir Lossky, is a well-known author in the area of Eastern Christian spirituality and theology. And here's what he says in his book regarding Maximus's thought about God from the Eastern perspective. On the threshold of the knowledge of God, do not seek to know his essence. A human spirit cannot attain to such knowledge. No one knows it but God. But consider fully, insofar as you are able, his attributes. For example, his eternity, his infinity, his invisibility, his goodness, his wisdom, his power, which creates, governs, and judges all beings. For among all men, that one merits the name of theologian who seeks to discover, if only in part, the truth of his attributes. God and so also the divine, is comprehensible from a certain point of view, incomprehensible from others, comprehensible in the contemplation of his attributes, incomprehensible in the contemplation of his essence. We do not know God in his essence, but by the magnificence of his creation and the action of his providence, which present to us, as in a mirror, the reflection of his goodness, his wisdom, and his infinite powers. His attributes or energies are known through created beings. The purified mind either has simple and pure representations of human beings, or naturally contemplates visible and invisible beings, or receives the light of the Holy Trinity. Okay, that's just a little bit about Maximus the Confessor's thought, as brought to us by Vladimir Lossky in his book, The Vision of God. I want you to notice, though, I always find these passages very inspiring, very beautiful, that God is so great, so transcendent, that we can never really know, according to Eastern thought, his essence. Means, essence means what a, what a being really, really, really is totally in the core of their being. And any word I use, such as core, or essence, or whatever, is an adequate relation to God, because God is beyond all terms. But we need terms 
especially by analogy, to try to at least describe God in some way. So the East believes that in his essence, we cannot know him. He's always beyond us, so much greater than us. But we can know him by what the East calls his energies. In other words, his attributes, those things that sort of extend out from him and touch the created world. I like to see it in terms of the image of the sun. At least for me, that's an image that works well. The sun, you know, you cannot see or enter the core of the sun. You can hardly even look at the sun. Otherwise, you'll go blind because the sun is so great, not because it's bad. It's so great that we cannot fully comprehend it. We can only look at it for a short time with a naked eye. But yet we come to know the sun. We bask in it. We grow and are transformed by what extends out from it. It's energy. It's rays that light up the earth and give life to plants and ourselves. So it's an extension of God's essence, but it's not his actual essence. In other words, it's not the core of the sun, but it's the rays emanating from the sun. So the Eastern approach to God is articulated by Maximus the Confessor, something very similar to that. Now, Maximus also gives us some articulation on who we are as human beings. And this is very important. First, we look at a few things about God from the Eastern perspective. But then it asks the question then, who are we then? Who is a human person in relation to God? To answer that question, using the thought of Maximus Confessor, I'm going to refer to another great book called Christ in Eastern Christian Thought by Father John Meyendorf. Christ in Eastern Christian Thought by Father John Meyendorf. And he is talking about Maximus, and he says this. Maximus writes, Today man in his actions is possessed by the irrational imagination of the passions, deceived by concupiscence, or preoccupied either by the contrivances of science because of his needs, or by the desire to learn the principles of nature according to its laws. None of these compulsions existed for man originally, since he was above everything. For thus man must have been in the beginning, in no way distracted by what was beneath him or around him or near him, and desiring perfection in nothing except irresistible movement with all the strength of love towards the one who was above him, and that is God. In other words, Maximus says that the very essence of the human person is a kind of a natural striving towards God, that we didn't really know this distinction between fallen man and natural man. To be a natural human being, what was natural to being human, meant to be, as the scriptures say, in the image and likeness of God. In other words, the Eastern Church has a very, very fundamentally positive starting point for the nature of the human person. We are, first and foremost, from the beginning, and always will be, made in the image and likeness of God. In other words, we are very much like God. No, not in his essence and in his infinite power, but we image him, reflect him in so many ways, so that there is actually a kind of a oneness, more of a oneness between the spiritual life, heaven, the things of God, and this life, this earth, or so it was in the beginning, before the fall. And what man's preoccupation was, was basically this union with God, this striving for God, until, of course, sin came in to disrupt that. We're going to talk more about the thought of Maximus Confessor when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we're talking about a confessor for the faith, Maximus the Confessor, sometimes referred to as the father of Byzantine theology. There's so much that is fascinating and inspiring about Maximus's thought, but I want to move on to an answer that he provides to a question is often raised. Many theologians don't really want to answer this question. And the question is, and it's especially relevant because we just came through the season of the Incarnation, you know, Christmas, Epiphany, and so on. The question is, would God have still come in the flesh? Would the second person truly have taken on flesh while still remaining God had there been no sin? Because the theologians basically satisfy the question by just saying God became incarnate to save us because we needed saving. Those we had to come down to earth and take on our nature to elevate it, to save it. But people like Maximus go a little bit further. And what he says is that actually the answer would be yes, that God still would have done this. He still would have become incarnate in the flesh, even without sin, as though that probably was, and it's a little bit of speculation, probably was in God's original plan. And why? This is the part I love about this thought up by Maximus. Because God so loved us, so identified with us, that he would want to become us, yet still remaining God. You know how it is when you really, really love something? You, wanna, you just want to kind of melt into that person or melt into that thing that you want. You want to experience, you want to immerse yourself in it. So too did God, according to Maximus, want to immerse himself in his own beloved creation, most particularly the human person. And so he would have become incarnate just out of sheer love of this creature that he made. Because the whole purpose, the vocation of the human person was in fact to unite heaven and earth within himself. And that is still our task, our purpose and goal today as human beings. That's a little bit about Maximus the Confessor and happen to have in our studio today. You never know who might stop by our Lie of the East studios. We have an old friend, an old voice, old not age-wise, old meaning she goes back to some of her early days here at Lie of the East. I want to welcome once again to our studio. She just happened to stop by. She was in town. 
Katie Reedy. Katie, glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hi, Father. Hello. Great to have you back here in the studio. Great to be back. For those faithful listeners who maybe were with us from the very beginning, which is this going to be a program about, oh, we're getting close to almost 500 programs already, but wow. about 400 some programs ago, they might recall your voice, Katie, our, <laughs> the humble beginnings of light in the <laughs> East. But you know, Katie, it's, it's providential that you stop by today because you have gone on from here, the light of the East, you were the hometown girl, now you've gone on to the, to the West Coast, and you are doing what? You're involved in filmmaking, in right? In film, correct, yes. Yes, work for a very young film production company, um, working on their second feature film. So yeah, out in Los Angeles, it's been two, two and a half years. And you were sitting here listening to my little presentation of Maximus, the Confessor, which is just scratching the surface, just touching upon this great mind, this great saint. And you had certain reactions, would I imagine, because you yourself are being a confessor out west, aren't yes. you? <laughs> I suppose, yes. In the movie industry and so on. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, what you were just saying is fascinating. It's um, it's just so telling of where we're at today mm-hmm. in this culture, especially in Hollywood. I think, Katie, this passage in particular is one that struck you. I know it struck me from Maximus again. Today, man in his actions is possessed by the irrational imagination of the yes. passions, deceived by concupiscence or preoccupied either by the contrivances of science because of his needs, or by the desire to learn the principles of nature according to its laws. None of these compulsions existed for man originally, since he was above everything. For thus man must have been in the beginning, in no way distracted by what was beneath him, around him, or near him, and desiring perfection in nothing except irresistible movement, with all the strength of love towards the one who was above him. Yeah, that... that reading of Maximus is is just fascinating because it's very telling of how far we've gotten away from God in this yes. culture. And just um, you see how disordered sexuality is or mm-hmm. um, just how misunderstood it is, yet people are still, they see the beauty of it, yet they're they're just exploiting it and they're not understanding that the beauty they see in it is mm-hmm. because it's created, because it's of God. Right. Um, and you see that particularly in Hollywood. And it's so sad because people, they long for it and you can see yes. it, but they're just not going to the source of it. Right. Um, so hearing that reading is just fascinating. And it's, it's very telling um, how in the beginning it wasn't that way. We had our compulsions were beneath us. I can't right. even imagine, especially right now, living in a world like that. But that's yes. what we need to strive for. Yes, it's hard for us to imagine that the truth about the human person is that we were not driven by concupiscence by fallen passions and compulsions we think that's reality yeah but it's not reality like the people i'm certain certainly many people where you are yes yes and by the way for the sake of our listeners katie you're involved in movie uh, company filmmaking company but it's one that's trying to put out very good films wholesome films exactly exactly movies that the family can watch together right so even though it's hollywood it's not necessarily the Hollywood that we often exactly, associate. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. However, we do, I mean, we had a 500-man crew on this last film we did, Ooh, so it wow. wasn't, I mean, they weren't all Christians, <laughs> you know? Um, but you so, witnessed to them. You were a confessor to them, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, they did. They said our set was like Disneyland, <laughs> you know? And I think they were just in awe at the behaviors of all yeah. of us, but which wasn't any, anything um, strange to us. It's just, it's just how right. we are and who we are because of of the way our ethos is formed and, right. and trying to live out our, our Christianity and our love for Christ in a natural way, not putting on right. a see, show for them. We're see, just there, being normal. There you're getting a little glimpse of what Max was talking about with Adam before the fall. It was just natural for them to be good. 
Yes. And just as yeah, you're saying, you're, it's natural for you to be good. Yes. You know, because of because, but that of course is because you've you've in large part you're continually growing to overcome passion concupiscence. You know, by practicing your faith, the sacraments, and so on. Correct. Whereas in the beginning, before sin, it was natural just to be good. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have to try. They that is an interesting good. comparison because some of the things I feel like I was living in a little bubble in Chicago out here, just yeah. at least within my Catholic community. Mm-hmm. And then I got out there and, you know, you think you're so strong and oh, yeah. and then you are faced with things that are yes. completely in opposition to your faith and your eyes are, you know, they kind of open and you're like, okay, I've heard about this stuff, but you've been so far removed from it, you yes. know? And it's not that I've lived, you know, this perfect lifestyle even in Chicago, but trying to, you know, purify yourself and walk mm-hmm. with Christ and do the right thing and being removed from it for so long and then being thrown, <laughs> you're in the thrusts of it out there. Yeah. And it's a reminder of how, how we do have to be witnesses. We yes. have to be witnesses because yes. even if people start to question it, like, well, why do you guys act differently? What is there? What is different about them? You know, there's yes. something that is different that is, is um, it's, it's appealing to them or maybe not even appealing, but it's, it's, yeah, it's contrary to how they've been living. So they're just, they're, they question it, you know? So yes, even that's yes. good because it's something different for them to see. Yes. It's not, everybody doesn't participate in some of the things that go on out there, right. you know? Yeah. Well, you'll notice what we did at the beginning of the program. We started out with Maximus's thought about, first of all, who God is, a little bit about God. And that's mm-hmm. what people are missing. They're missing two things, who God really is, understanding God. Mm-hmm. And again, Coming from the Eastern perspective, we can't understand God in his total essence, but we can understand so much about him because he's revealed himself to us. Yes. But also then understanding who we are as human beings. Yes. yes. What are, that's why it's so important to understand these great theologians. And, and the particular contribution of the East, I think, in the Western world is very timely, I think. This very positive idea of the human person. Do you realize if yes. people, like you want to tell people, do you realize what it really means to be a human being is not just to pacify your impulses yeah and that it's in that it's in our humanness that you are seeing god that you are witnessing god and that's a great distinction that we don't necessarily we won't know him in his essence but it's through the created things that we do come to know him and that's what i see all the time out on the west coast is people you know everybody's outside enjoying the weather and they love hiking and the beach and the sand and there's so many activities to do and then people just sit there and they're in awe of the ocean and all these things and i look at them just thinking when you're looking at the ocean in awe, right. you're actually in awe of God. Right. Exactly. Oh, and you just want to point that out to right. them, but yeah. they're so they're so um, you Blind. know separated from that. Yeah, they're so a... separated, and they're they're they just won't tap into that. You know right. that don't worship the creation. Go to the Creator. It's that much greater. You will enjoy right. the ocean that much more exactly. if you know who created it. Yes, that much more. I mean, when you love something, you in a sense want to meet. Yes. The person who made that. Enter thing. into Enter it. Enter into it. And you yeah. can do that through the Eucharist, you know, yes. and that's, yeah. And so so witnessing, being a confessor, a confessoress or whatever it is you are, <laughs> yeah. is really about, I think, making connections for people. Yeah. You know, you affirm their experience, as you say. Those people can, and the people out there who know nothing about God, they're atheists or whatever, but they can still be inspired by that creation. But they just don't make the connection yes, uh, yes. of where that the source of that creation. And then, as you say very well, to to experience it and love it ever more deeply, ever more intensely. Yes. Quick story. I went to Cirque du Soleil with an atheist friend of mine, and <laughs> um, 
oh, he's so he, he's so close to it. I can't even. I, yes. Sometimes I just can't even say anything mm-hmm. because my heart is aching for him to just open it a little, just for him to open his heart a little towards towards Christ. But he said, oh, I just love, he's like, I can't believe the body, what the human body is capable of doing. (laughs) And I said, wow, I love that you're fascinated by art and the human body. And he said, oh, yeah, he goes, don't be surprised if I start crying during Cirque du Soleil because because it fascinates me what they can do. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't even have that that for the human body. (laughs) So I'm like, wow, if you could just put your finger on it, you know, like you're there, you know what it is. Just make that connection. Yeah, yeah, he's just fascinated with with the capabilities of the human body. Yeah. Well, Kenny, it was great having you reconnect with us here at Light of the East, your old home here. Yes. I want to wish you much good fortune and a lot of witnessing and a lot of God's graces where you are now. Again, thanks for being on our program today and also thank all of you for listening i'm father thomas Loya on light of the east light of the east is produced by adc media thank you for listening next week we will return to the light of the east to find out more about annunciation byzantine catholic parish visit our website byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road Homer Glen, Illinois 60491 That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>